As a sponsor of the podcast, TAP Sleep Care wants to show you their studies. If you're hesitant in trying oral appliance therapy, go with one you can trust. Backed by over 45 independent peer-reviewed studies, TAP is the most researched custom oral appliance in the world with the best patient outcomes. It's not just a marketing slogan. It's real data that you can trust. Visit tapintosleep.com for a full list of studies and to find a provider near you. That's tapintosleep.com. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So today's conversation is with Thomas Hinton. He's a sleep performance coach with Circadian Health Systems. But aside from that, I really wanted to talk to Thomas because I think he understands sleep apnea from a lot of different angles. So he has sleep apnea himself. He has it in his family. And he also worked as a sleep tech for many years. So we get into a lot of these different things. I really enjoy talking to him. So here's my conversation with Thomas Hinton. So Thomas, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to see you. So let's start out with, I know you have your experience as a sleep tech and then also your experience as a patient yourself having sleep apnea. So which of those came first? Did you train in sleep stuff first or did you have sleep apnea first? Um, so honestly, you know, after you get diagnosed, I figured like, oh man, now, now it all adds up, you know, thinking about the things that were happening to me before. Um, but I didn't get diagnosed until I started working as, as a technologist. So, right on. So you might want to say where you are in the country as well. Oh, yeah. So, I, so I'm so i in a small town called East Peoria, Illinois. Okay. So I'm two and a half hours south of Chicago. So how did you get into being a sleep tech to begin with? Yeah, so everyone always asks, asks me like, like what my why is. Um, and my why is my dad, actually. Um, so he was, uh, 35 years old. He died of a massive heart attack. Oh gosh, uh, I'm so sorry. No, thank you. Um, and so obviously I only know him through pictures and stories that he tell me. And so when talking to my mom, you know, she would always tell me, you know, like how he would snore and different things like that. Um, and obviously back in the eighties, like no one really thought anything about that, you know? And so oh, they're yeah. saying, like, you're, you're in a good deep sleep. You know, you were snoring, sawing logs. And so I see pictures of him and he was a big guy. He was fit, but he was a big guy, you know, and really it was just a, just a head on top of some shoulders, no real like neck area. Um, and so that kind of what got me into it. And now I'm kind of in that space where I'm trying to help people, trying to prevent people from being my dad. Yeah. You know, so did people tell your mom at the time that they thought that 
undiagnosed sleep apnea was an element like was or or you just kind of piece that together afterwards yeah i just piece it together afterwards and yeah then I, I a conversation with her. i'm like hey obviously you know it can be hereditary i've got it you know what i mean so there's a really high chance that dad did yeah you know and she's like oh my gosh i never, I never thought about that so um but to answer your first kind of go back to answer your first question so i started working in in the field and then that's when i was like oh man now all these, you know, I'm seeing all these different like cardinal features and, and symptoms of sleep apnea. And I'm thinking back to when I was in high school, you know, yeah. and I'm snoring and I'm doing these different things. Like I woke up, I was waking up foggy. Like I, my, my performance in school wasn't all that great. Um, and I'm just like, oh man, like it could have been impacting me this whole time. I just didn't know. So as a, I mean, that's so common. I've talked to so many people that have gone through that. So as a teenager, what would like were you going to a doctor and saying like were you seeing a pediatrician that you were saying i'm so tired and like or not really it seems oh, like okay. that's not really yeah no, no i've I'm, talked to people where they say i was a teenager so i was in school and doing my homework and i just kind of thought that's how it is you know so people kind of tend yeah. to not go to the doctor yeah and they attributed it to you know because i've been an athlete all my life you know, so there's like, oh, like, you know, you're, you're working out, you're lifting, you're in that heat, you know, of course you're going to be tired, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah. I think even then back in the you know 80s, 90s, and even the early 2000s, you know, because I graduated in 03. And even then it was, it just wasn't, this wasn't a thing to really talk about, you know, especially when it came to pediatric sleep. And, and, and it comes to yeah. Kids. It's still an uphill battle now. So yes, exactly. No, I know. I think even like, you know, that's kind of what I think about, like, even in the 14 years since I was diagnosed, I feel like things have changed for the better, but there's still so far to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, things things haven't gotten better, but yeah, it's still... Yeah, um, the know, awareness it, part of it, especially. Yeah, because we have a lot of people that still think it's a scam. Um, yeah. I just talked to two patients just last week, and they're just, you know, and I'm seeing, oh, type 2 diabetes, oh, heart failure, oh, all these different things. Hey, have you ever, have you ever had a sleep study? You know, and they're like, "Oh, my doctor's trying to get me to get one of those things." But you know, I I think everybody's got it though. Everyone I talk to, every one of my friends, you know, has has a machine. I'm like, well, because they have sleep apnea. Um, and I told him, I said, to be honest with you, I think even more people than you think have it. And oh it's yeah. Just, it's just not diagnosed. I said, so it's not something that you know you should, you should take lightly. I couldn't nod and agree with you more. <laughs> yeah. So try yeah, to convince definitely. Me. I convinced you know someone that doesn't believe in it's really hard, but yeah, but it'll something so, will happen. He'll, he'll either have a stroke or a heart attack, and then he'll come knocking our doors down when he gets. I know, up. I know, and that's the thing. It's like you don't want it to get as serious as that, right? Like, so you're a teenager struggling with just being tired and having you know somehow managing to do all these sports and things, and then what happened? Like, so you just kind of carried on and yeah, I just kind of I just kind of carried on and. um and I wasn't really, you know, like just the fatigue and the tire, like that, that, that's really all, all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any other, any other symptoms, you know, yep. uh, that we hear about and that we, that we, that we look for and scream for now. Um, it didn't really hit me until uh, my, my wife reported me. And so she reported me snoring and stopping breathing in my sleep. And by that time, I had already been working in the field. I already kind of knew what was going on. I was being a little mm-hmm. hard-headed about it and denial. And so she recorded me and I listened to it and I was just like, wow. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, heart disease runs on my dad's side of the family. This is something that actually, you know, increases your chance of heart. You know, like what what are you doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so at that point, I was symptomatic. I was very, I was very lethargic and just very tired and fatigued and just mentally wasn't there. 
Um, and so I finally got, I got it taken care of and I've never looked back. So. Right on. And so when you started training in the sleep field to be a sleep tech, like what drew you to it? You just thought that it was kind of interesting or? Well, yeah, like, like I said, it, it goes back to my dad, you know, yeah. Apnea aspect, and so my big goal was is to try to help as many people as I can not end up like him. Yeah, with, on the heart disease side, or I mean, overall, like other other health issues that sleep apnea exacerbates. But yeah, I just wanted to 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 help as many people as I can because I still have this I can save the world mentality. Yeah. Um, because it's something that's so simple, it seems. Same. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and so uh, you know, so I'm, I'm always out there educating people. I'm always like, hey, like you know, have a conversation with your doctor. Talk to me if you need to. Yeah. I can be an advocate for you. I can be, a, you know. So I'm I'm always doing that. Um, real quick, I actually partnered with a company called Sleep Med RX, and um, they uh, they do home sleep studies, and you get access to a physician, you get a home sleep study, and then you get a prescription therapy. So I'm just out there now, like, hey, like this not that hard it's really really easy is that across all the states yeah yeah anybody can anybody can do it it's actually virtual um you know so like you know you pay, pay out of pocket costs which is like way cheaper than what it would cost for for specialists and all this stuff um and then you get a virtual visit with a sleep specialist and you get a, you get a home sleep study uh and then you get a prescription for therapy all for like less than a fraction of the cost yeah i feel like these companies are you know the more that the um home sleep study um technology improves there's so many of these companies popping up all over the place which is great for access to sleep studies right like yeah i think that can be a, a big barrier for people that they don't want to go and sleep in a sleep clinic and and all of that stuff but they can do it at their own home it makes a big difference This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone in coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma. So what did, tell me about working, like, so did you um, work in a sort of sleep clinic overseeing people having sleep studies all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So tell uh, me all about that. Like, what do people need to know about that process? Because I feel as though people that haven't been through that think that it's way more difficult and, you know, just have a lot of anxiety about the idea of sleeping somewhere strange. So maybe you can tell us a bit about what that looked like. And yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. So um, I started, I worked, when I, when I first started off, I worked for, uh, it's called the INI, INI Institute. So it's the Illinois Neurological Institute, INI Sleep. Um, and so there is where, you know, people would come in and we would hook them up, you know, to, a, you know, various devices and different, you know, recording stuff uh, to, you know, the most important thing is the EEG. We're putting electrodes on their head um, to monitor their EEG. And so that's where we will know, you know, what, you know, if you're sleeping, what stage of sleep you're in, um, if you're awake, all those different things. Um, and then we also monitor your, your heart, we monitor your EKG, so you have EKG patches, you know, on your chest and on your, on your page area. Um, you monitor your oxygen, so you have an oxygen sensor on you. Um, you monitor snoring, so you're going to have a snore mic on your neck. So it, it, it is a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot. Um, we monitor your nasal and oral airflow. So you'll, you'll have these, these sensors that go like in, in, inside your nose and like kind of outside your nose. Yeah. That monitor. Um, you monitor your leg movements. You're going to have leg wires that, that, that put patches on your, kind of like on the front of your, uh, I, I don't know what that muscle is called, but like right on the front, that muscle down the front of your leg at the bottom there. Um, and so then we also monitor your, your, your abdominal, uh, your abdominal and your, th and your thoracic breathing because we want, we want to see effort. So if someone stops breathing in their sleep, obviously there's different forms of sleep apnea. There's hypopneas, there's obstructive sleep apneas, there's mixed apneas, and there's central apneas. Mm -hmm. And so monitoring the, the oral and nasal airflow and then the, the chest and the abdominal airflow, that helps us determine what kind of apnea you're having. Um, and so it, it can be a little overwhelming, um, but it's probably not as bad as some patients make it out to be. Um, right. In my experience, that's all that I have. Um, is, you know, patients, oh, I'm not going to sleep with all this stuff. And then like five minutes in, they're out. <laughs> yeah, because they're yeah. so tired often. Yeah, because yeah. they're so tired. Because most likely when they're coming in to see us for, you know, for an issue to get tested for, they, they, they most likely have one. Um, it's very rare that I, it's happened, but it's very rare in my experience where someone's come in for a sleep study that didn't happen. Um, so I think, I think that makes a lot of sense to me because it feels like getting a referral for a sleep study can be an uphill battle for people, especially people who don't, you know, fit that kind of, you know, older, overweight male <laughs> kind of thing that, that doctors are looking for. So I feel like, you know, I'm sure that, you know, it's getting better and I'm sure that there's some great doctors sending loads of people for sleep studies. But oftentimes I think if you're not um, presenting in that way, it can be more like you advocating for a sleep study yourself. Um, sometimes it is like that um, because again, like if you don't meet those cardinal features, uh, that's how a lot of people get missed. Um, and so I, you know, when I'm talking to people, whether it's whether I'm in clinic or if I'm, you know, different. Yeah. So um, I said, I, you know, when I'm in clinic or, you know, when I'm you know, uh, talking to you know, clients, whatever, whatever I'm doing, I, I screen for sleep apnea everywhere I go because, because it's everywhere. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't know that. And to your point, you know, like for me, because when I tell when I tell patients that I have sleep apnea, they're just like, "You don't fit the bill." I'm like, "Well, there really isn't a bill, you know." And again, that's how people get missed. I've I've seen you know women, you know, five to 120 pounds have worse apnea than I do. Yes. You know, um, I tell people I put I put CPAP on an eight month old before. You know, and it's like it, it worse apnea than I did at eight months old. You know, so like it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think there's a big misconception out there. So tell me more about um like what does the actual room look like when you're having a sleep study? <laughs> does so, it look uh, kind of like a hotel room or does it look more like a hospital room or what what would you say? So it, it, it depends on the facility, to be honest with you. So where where I was at, uh, they were designed more like hotel rooms. Uh so a really, really nice, comfortable beds, you know, I had TVs in there, you know, carpet, 
um, you know, nice, nice armoires and cabinets next to it that yeah. had all of our stuff in there, but you would never know until you opened it up. Um, but you know, bathrooms inside of the, inside of the rooms. Um, but no, like they, they were really, really nice. Now there are some, I've, I've heard some horror stories about, you know, mm -hmm. how, about like a hospital bed, a hospital room, trying to do this sleep study. And it's just kind of like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. Uh, but no, we wanted to make it as comfortable as possible. Like even the walls were painted like a nice, like warm, soothing color, you know, stuff like that. So like yeah. a little bit of science behind that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really, really nice. And so for people out there, can you explain a little bit about the difference between a home sleep test and actually having the full polysomnogram in a sleep lab or clinic or whatever you're calling it? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I know like I've kind of talked to doctors where they're talking about um, whether it rules in or out sleep apnea. So sometimes people can test negative on a home test, but then they have like the full test in a, in a clinic and then it shows up that they do actually have sleep apnea. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, and this, this, this will kind of go into like my, my initial issue, you know, with home sleep testing and different therapies and stuff like that. Anyway. Um, so an in-lab sleep test is by far the most accurate way to, to, to test for sleep apnea and other sleep. Right. Um, but now, you know, we've kind of transitioned over in this home sleep study space where, you know, a lot of commercial insurances are requiring home sleep studies first because they're cheaper. Because okay. they're cheaper. Um, and there's a good, there's a place for them, you know, get some diagnostic data, you know, yeah. get the results back and then boom, you're there. Also, I think there's this thing where insurance companies, if you've already been diagnosed, like I've had several sleep studies since I was initially diagnosed, like when I've, you know, gotten a new machine or whatever it is. And I feel like those were home tests because they're kind of like, we already know you have sleep yeah, apnea. Yeah. So they just kind of want to confirm it and then give you a new machine kind of thing. Yeah. So like I said, there's, other, there's, a, there's a space form and there's a, you know, there's, there's a reason we can use them. Um, but when it comes to the in-lab sleep studies, you, know, you, you have trained professionals that are sitting there like looking at your data that, that are trained to know what they're looking for. You know, yeah. uh, they're trained to know, again, like what stage of sleep and if you're awake, all these different having an apnea event, and they're trained to score those events based on certain parameters. Um, and so, with the home sleep studies, you know they have these algorithms in there um, that it, it doesn't necessarily really know when you're sleeping. Um, it, you know, like if it's two o'clock in the morning and, and you're not moving at all, obviously you're in REM, you know, because right. your muscles are paralyzed in REM. Um, but then the oxygen sensor that, that that's also helpful. Um, but at the same time. Some people who have like severe, severe apnea, their oxygen levels don't have time to, to, to drop, to dip. And so, you know, oh, well, 98% throughout this whole entire study, but then their apnea index is like 95. Yes. You know, so the home sleep studies aren't designed, they're not designed to pick that up. Um, and so during an in the lab test, you can actually see when someone is stopping breathing when on. So. That's to me. I mean, there's, there's. I can probably, I can go on forever about this, but I don't want to bore no, you. No, I. So good, I. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Vivos Therapeutics. Do you wake up feeling tired or exhausted? Are you struggling to sleep using a CPAP? If you have mild to moderate OSA, there is a better way to help you sleep and more importantly, breathe at night. It's the Vivos method from Vivos Therapeutics. 
The VIVOS method is a non-invasive and non-surgical treatment provided by dentists and medical providers. This natural approach works by expanding the oral cavity, which may result in a larger airway, allowing you to breathe and sleep more deeply at night. More importantly, the VIVOS method may create a long-term change in the health of your airway, which could alleviate the need for CPAPs. But don't just take our word for it. Over 27,000 patients worldwide have used the VIVOS method to treat their mild to moderate obstructive sleep apnea and are now enjoying a more restful quality of sleep. If you're ready to potentially ditch your CPAP and enjoy a better quality of sleep, simply go to vivos.com patients. Take a quick online assessment and you'll be directed to a provider near you. That's vivos.com patients. In some instances, there are certain um, comorbidity, comorbidities that you can have um, that can get you an in-lab sleep study right away. So like you know, yes. morbid obesity, um, congestive heart failure, uh, COPD, different things like that. Um, you still have to do a pre-authorization, but you have to make the case as to why you want them to get in the lab. Um, and most likely, uh, if you make a good case, they'll, they'll say, okay, fine, do an in-lab sleep study. It, so here's what I really want to know. And and oftentimes my questions are because I personally want to know things. Yeah. Um, so here's what happened to me. Like, so I had, I actually had a full polysomnogram, but in my own home where the sleep tech came to my house and like put all the electrodes and the goop and everything and wired me all up. And then there was a webcam like a laptop with a webcam and some sleep oh. tech in Texas watching me sleep. Have you ever heard oh. of that? Was this, was this here? Wow, really? In Florida. This was in 2008. So I'm not sure if things oh. have maybe changed, but they basically said the insurance company, it was a whole thing. My doctor was like, like I'd fallen asleep at the wheel. So my doctor was like, she needs a sleep study. Uh, um, and so the insurance company said, we have this new thing where we're sending sleep texts to people's homes to do this whole thing. And I didn't know that that was unusual until yeah. I've told a bunch of people since then. And they're just like, you did what? Yeah. Um, Are so, you sure that was real? Like, what? <laughs> I know. So that, and then since then, I've had several home sleep tests, right? So I never had this thing of having a titrating um sleep study so i talked to lots of people where they've either either had a separate sleep study or the initial sleep study they've woken up with like a sleep tech putting a mask on their face so can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about titrating studies Absolutely. And, and why that's necessary and how you would get that <laughs> yeah so um so Usually, so if you're coming in for an in-lab sleep study, you know, and, and you're and you're doing what's called a baseline sleep study, so that's just the initial study to prove, see what what you got going on. Yeah. Um, and let's say, you know, in each each facility is different. You know, each doctor or physician is different, and so they have these parameters where, okay, you know, if uh, if at at a certain point in the night, you know, halfway through the night, if they have an apnea index of more than twenty times an hour, then we're going to do what's called a split night sleep study. So then you would go in. You would put CPAP mask on them, um, and then you know, put them on the machine, and then titrate them for the second half of the night. Um, 
So, so that means you have the mask on their face and the sleep tech can, can adjust the pressure to yeah. see what the correct pressure for that person is. Correct. And so they, we have the software on our screens, you know, we can, we can actually titrate, you know, on the, on our computer screen, the, the machine, and we can actually raise the pressure based on, you know, how many apnees that you're having. Um, and so initially, so what we do is when, when a patient would come in for their sleep study, we do paperwork and all that stuff. And then we would do what's called a mask fitting with them. So, so and we would put the mask on them on the side of the bed while they're awake, put the mask on, turn the air on, and then say, just, just breathe with this. And then we try like three or four different masks. Then we'd say, okay, which one would you think? So you do the different masks during the night or you do this the no, next before day? the study. So we do oh, that before, before the study. study. Got it. Got it. So, so I'd always tell them, so, you know, like this is to, to kind of determine which mask you think you'd be most comfortable with. If I had to come in and put and put the mask, so we would, you know, educate. So them they right know now. ahead of time. Yes. I may come in, depending on how bad it is. I may come in halfway through the night and put this on you. So pick out which mask, you know, you think would be most comfortable. You're not tied to that one, but it's just right. one. And I so, love that. I feel like that's not happening enough. Yeah. So I've heard, yeah. I've heard a lot of patients say, oh, they didn't do that with me. But nope. where I was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a requirement. So that's good. Um, yeah. So halfway through the night, about two o'clock in the morning, oh, their apnea index, you know, meets the criteria. So we, we go in, wake them up and say, hey, you know, we're going to put the mask on you, let them go to the bathroom if they needed to first. And then we then we get them started. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of patients woke up the next morning feeling so much better because that second half of the night is the best night of sleep that they've had in, in years. Because they got some oxygen. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, they, some people didn't feel a difference at first, but once they got it, you know, on the machine consistently at home. And it was a lot, the experience was a lot better. No wires, no people looking at you. You're in your, you know, your yeah. environment. So all those different things kind of play a factor in the, you know, the success of the CPAP titration. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for explaining that. Because I think, I feel like I've heard so many, of course, people are always desperate to tell me stories about things when they didn't go well. So it's nice and, to hear that you're spending time to educate people, you know, about these are the different mass choices and, and all of that, because... I mean, I've heard stories of people waking up with a with a sleep tech putting a mask on their face, and they don't know what's going on, really. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this though. So there, there's a few times where someone someone was in such a deep sleep. When I went in there to 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 put the mask on them for the second half of the night, they didn't wake up, and so I had to like lift their head up, put the mask on, and then, wow. and then just and just get them going. And you know, they'd wake up like, "Whoa, what happened?" I'm like, "Wow, we yeah. wake up, and you were you were out of there." So I just did what I had to do. And yeah. Yeah. So tell me about, so you said when, when you got diagnosed with sleep apnea, so, so your wife recorded you and then, so you were currently working like as a a sleep tech, right? When that happened. So you kind of knew a thing or two about it. Oh, I knew I was just in denial. (laughs) Okay. Denial is such a huge part of sleep apnea. Am I right? Say that again denial seems to be a huge part of sleep apnea oh, i feel absolutely. like i feel like the number of times i hear people say things like well i'm just they don't go for the sleep study to see how severe their sleep apnea is they kind of know they have it but yeah. they'll be like well i'm just gonna lose weight or do something like even though you know it's a pressing cons- like you know it's a health condition they have to like treat now you know yes. um 
but yeah, denial's a huge thing. So so what were your denial? Like I'm a feelings person, so I want to know about it. So what were your denial feelings? Were they like, I'm too young for this? And like yeah. this is something other people have. I'm too fit. Yep. I I, I don't I don't meet criteria. Like I don't yeah. fit the bill for it. Yeah. Right. Because that's how they trained you. Oh, this is what we look for. Yeah. And so I, I didn't meet that. I don't want to wear a CPAP mask because I cause obviously I, I'm seeing what people look like when they're doing this. I right. don't want to do that, you know. Um, and I, and it just just being hard, just being stubborn, being a stubborn, just being a stubborn male. And yeah. um, plus, I feel like overall, like you know, just just knowing in my role as a wife, yeah, you know, men are just. I feel like my husband. There's no interest in going to the doctor. <laughs> like, and I have to, you know, kind of like make the appointment and GM up to it. So I feel like, you know, that's a pretty common thing too, just that men are like, it I don't is. have time for this. It is, but I will say, like, I'm I am now I'm very in tune with my health. Um, like I don't mess around with that. Yeah. At, at the time I got I me, mean, I was I was 26 years old, you know, so I was young, you know, I'm just like, I yeah. don't I don't I don't want to deal with this, you know. But again, like I said, I kind of kicked myself in my butt, like, hey, like, well, you want to end up you know, like, you know, not like, joking, yeah. but like, you want to end up like your dad? I know. You know? Well, no, you don't have a family, you have kids, you know what I mean? So like, I want to be, availability is really important. Yeah. So, so did know. you go and have a sleep study where you worked? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Yep. They, they so tested. what was that like? <laughs> did you get to uh, choose who got to like observe you? Oh yeah. I mean, we have our favorite coworkers and stuff like that. And, and you know, when, when you work with enough, I mean, we're working Thursday, we're with these people, you know, three or four nights a week for 12 or 13 hours. You know what I mean? And sometimes we get closer with them than with, than with our, with our own families. And so, you know, you, you know, who does good stuff and who doesn't, you know? And, and, and so, yeah, you know, so I went in, I'm like, okay, I want this person to do my sleep study. I want them to set me up. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I went there and I, and I got it done. It was, it was really nice to be on the other side of it as a patient. I found myself nervous. I'm the yeah. one that I'm the one that does all the hooking up and everything. And I found myself nervous. I'm like, this is what it's like. Um, but it was nice being on the other side and being able to experience that as a as a patient. Yeah. Um, and having firsthand experience of, you know, of what they're going through. Yeah. And they're sitting in that chair getting all that stuff put on and stuff like that. Yeah. I bet it made you a better sleep tech as well, just to kind of know it from the other side. Yeah, and so then so tell me about like after that so did you already have ideas about what kind of did they put you straight onto CPAP did they offer you anything else no because my my apnea index wasn't well at, at that night of the study my apnea index didn't meet criteria to get to get the mask on for the second half of the night okay um so I think I stopped breathing 14 and a half times an hour I think the okay. criteria there was like 25 or 30. Yeah. Um, and so after that, um, you know, I got I, I got a, I set up an appointment uh, to go to a durable medical equipment company, which um, they had their own anyway in the hospital system. So um, I went there and so the just, doctor just straight away prescribed you CPAP. I mean, you're in a position where you know all about that. Right. So yeah. so that was there a discussion about other options or all appliances or anything different like that? Or was it just um, straight to see? No. Because I, I had a lot of experience with the oral appliance. Um, and so, I mean, with the apnea index of 14.5, that probably would have helped me. Um, but we did a lot of sleep studies with people with the oral appliance. And the number one complaint was jaw pain, you know, mm -hmm. because this thing is extending their jaw out, you know. Yeah. And so um, that was one of the number one complaints. Like, well, I don't want jaw pain. I don't want that. Um, and so, like, I'll just do the CPAP. You know, I tried it. It's a love-hate relationship. I always tell people, like, I love what it does for me mentally and physically. 
but I hate the fact that I have to wear it. Um, but I'll, I mean, I'll never go without it. Like it, it is definitely yeah. changed, changed the game. For me. Anyway, but yeah, so that's what happened. I got sent, I went to a DME company, uh, durable, durable medical equipment place. Uh, and they, and they set me up with it, educated me on how to maintain it, which I already knew all that stuff. So I just sat there. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah. And then I, then and I just so started. as far as like, did they give you choices of different masks or yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep, I'm a full face. I have I'm a mouth breather, so I tried the okay. nasal pillows, and my mouth kept coming open. I kept the elbow in the ribs, you know. My wife, yeah, close your mouth. Yeah, that's good. But I mean, the main thing is you find a mat a mask that you're comfortable to sleep in, and you're managing to use the CPAP all the time, which is great. Absolutely. And so, do you think were you one of those people that had the first night and then woke up the next day feeling like amazing? Oh yeah, I felt great. I did. I hate like, people I, like you. I know. <laughs> No, I did. Like I, I felt really good, and and I, I needed that because obviously I worked third shift for nine and a half years, you know. So I developed, yeah. Um, and so I pretty much I was fooling Mother Nature in thinking that this is the way I was supposed to be doing it, and yes. um, I was like, no. Um, but no, like I did, I felt a huge difference, and I was so glad because I heard everybody else like, oh yeah, I felt great, I did. And so when when I experienced that, it was it was like a night and day experience. Oh my gosh, I, I was That's I was awesome. fun. You know, and, and yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did your what did your wife say about you getting a CPAP? Oh, she loved it because like yeah. it was quiet. It was quiet now in the bedroom. Yeah. So, uh, the machine was quiet. No snoring. No snoring. Like uh yeah. you know, my attitude, my and my attitude was a lot better. Yeah. Um I was more uh like mentally available, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I kinda experienced some absenteeism a little bit. Um, where you know, like I was there but I really wasn't. Yeah. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really want to be involved in anything. I just wanted to. I just wanted to just to lay down and just. And I think that's so was. common, and I think that people don't talk enough about the impact of untreated sleep apnea on your um, just the quality of your life. You know, tell me a bit about because um, you were working a night shift because yeah. you were. So how did that whole thing affect your sleep? Uh, it affected it a lot because if you think about it as a third shifter, um, you know, and when you go when you go when you go home in the mornings, you know, and go, we call that recoveries. Um, but you're not really you're, you're not really getting that back. You're, you're not making that up. So you're building up a lot of sleep debt. Yeah. Um, so if you think about the time that I get up to get ready for work to go in for a night shift, and then by the time I get off and then get home, you've been up for a total of like 14 to 15 hours, sometimes longer. Than that, yeah. Right. And so then you sleep for maybe five or six. And then you're back up and doing that same thing again. Yeah. Right. So, so, so in two days and two nights, that's, that's 30 hours versus the 12 hours that you, that you of sleep that you get, maybe if you get that, you know, and so it's all and for nine and a half years, it's building up, building up, building up all that sleep that, um, and it just, I mean, it took me at least a good two and a half years to, to, to recalibrate my circadian rhythm, uh, yeah. to get in sync with the daytime, you know, environment and function. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, I still have some issues sometimes where I, you know, I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and my body's like, hey, like let's, you know, let's let's let's, let's be able to do, some do some titrating. So yeah, it's like no, 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 go back to sleep. So, but for the most part, I'm 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 in a good spot. Tell me about how you got into the sleep coaching thing. Oh yeah, so um, so once I stopped, I stopped. So my the first, I've been in sleep for 14 years now. Um, and so the, the first half of my career was on the neurological side of it. And then the second half was on the, on the pulmonary side, which is more respiratory folk. And then I, I moved off of that, started working days. Um, I ran the sleep medicine part of the practice for a pulmonologist. 
Um, and so I was you know, helping people get on CPAPs. I'm doing education, training, helping them get their sleep schedules put together. Um, and so one day a gentleman says, you know, hey, man, you deliver information really well. You should do this for a living. And I said, I, I do do it for a living. And he goes, no, 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 no. I mean, like on a business, like entrepreneur level. Yeah. And that really scared the hell out of me because I never thought of doing anything like that. Yeah. And so I started doing some research, asking questions, you know, talking to people who are business owners. Um, and then in 2019, I, July of 19, I launched uh, Circadian Health Systems LLC. Um, I do business as Circadian Health and Performance. And what I do is I, I help people understand how and why sleep directly impacts their athletic, mental, physical, personal performance, recovery, all of that. Um, and I do that through what I call targeted you know, sleep coaching. So it's customized and it's tailored specifically to them. And then I hold their hand throughout the entire process. Yeah. And then I also screen for sleep apnea as well. Like I said, like I give patients a upward sleep in the scale, um, you know, just like this to kind of, just to kind of see what I, what, you know, what we're dealing with. And there's so much, there's data that has, that has come out about the upward sleep in the scale. It's like, oh, it doesn't really work. It's not a good tool to use. Um, I Let's think it is. Let's have a big debate about it, Thomas. I do. I, I think it's still a good tool to use because it's, it, yeah. it's more of a formality because it just gives us a kind of a, kind of a sense of, of what we're looking at. Now, with that being said, I've seen where people had an EPO score of one and had severe sleep apnea. Then I've seen where people had an EPO score of, you know, 15 and didn't, and didn't have anything. Right. You know, but it's still, for me, I think it's still a good tool, you know, to use just to kind of see. So, okay. so I think I, I kind of, I, you know, like I'm not totally disagreeing with you. Right. Because I think that there's good things about it, but I think that the, the problem comes like, I think probably the way that you're dealing with the Epworth score is part of an ongoing conversation with clients, right? Yeah. So they're kind of able to elaborate with you, like, this is how I feel and, and whatever. I think the problem comes when you're in like this really big practice where you get 10 minutes with the doctor and they briefly kind of glance at your Epworth thing and kind of go, oh, you're pretty sleepy. Okay. And, you know, yeah. but they're not asking more questions about that. Yeah. So I think that just, you know, it just depends how you use it, I guess, is, is my yeah. thing. And really, we focus on symptoms. Though. You know, like, yeah, we use the Epworth scale, but really we're worried about how you feel, like your symptoms. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know what? My husband, my what wife. What brings you here? Yeah, like you know, yeah. Witness, witness snoring, witness audible snoring, witness yeah. apnea events, um, you know, uh, you know, di diabetes, hypertension, you know, falling asleep at the wheel, you know, unrefreshing sleep and you know, headaches. Like we're, yeah. so we're, looking, we're listening and looking at all of that data as well, you know, on top of, you know, just kind of getting an idea of what we're, what we're dealing with. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for, for me, I, I always tell people, focus on the symptoms, like, like, listen to your patients. They're, they'll tell That's you what, what I you say. I'll yeah. <laughs> tell you what you need to know, you know, and especially when it comes to, um, you know, people who like we're talking about don't necessarily fit a lot of the risk factors for sleep apnea. Yeah. I'm not saying that risk factors aren't helpful because no doubt there's a lot of people in those groups who have sleep apnea yeah. but i think there's so many people who are being missed who do, are really like sleepy during the day and do yeah. have a lot of the symptoms they just if I had don't... my way everyone that i come across would get if i had my way yeah I mean, everyone because i always tell people i would rather you tell me i told you so that, that, I, that I don't have it and yeah. i do it and continue to have these ongoing issues and then like these different treatments or medications or therapies that you're that you're engaging in aren't working right. you know, because your body, you know, because your body's resistant to it because you're not 
Apple yeah. has menus on it. Yeah. You know? So it's just one of those things. Well, I mean, if we could just put you in charge of all of it, I think it would be <laughs> going a lot better. It's been so nice to talk to you. The last thing I always ask anybody who has sleep apnea themselves, have there been any good things to come from your diagnosis with sleep apnea? Any silver linings? Um, I guess I would say just, just the way that I, that I function and operate with my family. Um, because like I said before, you know, it was kind of causing, causing some tension at home because I was just, I was just real short with everyone yeah. and, you know, just my attitude. Um, again, like I just wasn't, I just wasn't mentally and physically available for them. Uh, yeah. and that's an issue, you know what I mean? And so like, you know, my wife was kind of, you know, kind of man in the helm for everything, you know, and that, and that just wasn't right, but. Little did I know at the time that that I had something going on that was causing yeah. that, and so it took her to it, t- it took her to to really it took her it took you know kind of talking with my mom about my dad, her recording me working in the field and all that kind of came together. You know, yeah. just like hey, like get this taken care of. Um, so well, I'm so this, glad you did. Yeah, me too. I mean, my and I always tell people, no matter what you do or where you go in life, you have to take your body with you. You know, so you have to take care of it. So, like, I kind of, that's my mantra. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you? Uh, you can go to my website, uh, www.circadianhealth.org. All right. I and can put a link in the show notes. For the yeah, yeah, too. please. Please take a, take a look. Um, you know, you can sign up as a, as a member. It alerts me. Uh, you can contact me. It comes through my email. Uh, I usually say, give me about 24 to 48 hours. I'll get back to you. Um, you know, and we can have the discussion. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Emma. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes, and I really appreciate it.